And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Amen. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, yes. and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the story. Short, simple, yet sublime. Right out of the Bible. Right out of the book. And ladies and gentlemen, God wrote the book. We have a correct account of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful, wonderful story that's been told in many languages around the world. And the Lord willing, I'm telling it again today. You've heard it, but it never grows old. I never get tired of telling the story, whether I'm talking to an individual or to thousands of people in a large auditorium. I love to tell the story of Jesus. Looking at Jesus from, from any point of view, we must remember this all-inclusive truth, whether we are talking about his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his intercession, his return for his own, or the second coming to establish his kingdom. We must remember this, and you already know it, you've heard it a lot of times, that Jesus Christ was just as much God as though he had never become man, and just as much man as though he had never been God. Indeed, Jesus Christ was very God, and at the same time, he was very man. The Apostle Paul addresses this truth in Philippians chapter 2. 
at verse number 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, of things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, ladies and gentlemen, my text that I'll read in a few moments makes clear the union of persons between God and man. The text goes like this. Unto us a child is born. That's his humanity. Unto us a son is given. That's his deity. Remember, he is God and man at the same time. People all over the civilized world look in utter amazement upon this child. Who is this child that was born young in a stable and laid in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes? Who is this child that the shepherds came to adore and the wise men came to worship? Well, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, this is not just another child. This is not just another addition to Bethlehem's population role. No, no, no. This child is the Christ child. This child is the creator becoming the creature. This child is the most high becoming the most nigh. This child is God becoming man. This child is light dispelling darkness. In the ninth chapter also that my text will be found, in verse 2, the prophet wrote, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath that light shined. Jesus was more than a child born, and he was and is the light of the world. Listen to his own testimony. I'm going to quote Jesus now, if it's all right, just to start with. You know, once in a while, I look back over some of my old outlines, five or six or seven decades old. The pages are dim, but the truth is still the same. And I have seen so many places, I started my ministry quoting Jesus, and I'm still quoting Jesus, And I intend to quote Jesus until the last breath leaves this tired body. He said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of light. Now at the time of Jesus' birth, there were royal senators in the imperial city of Rome. There were religious priests in the capital city of Jerusalem. There were renowned philosophers in the intellectual city of Athens, but wait, 
God in his divine wisdom passed over the senators and the priests and the philosophers and announced the birth of his son to a band of lowly shepherds in the unheralded city of Bethlehem. (laughs) Shepherds had no social, religious, or political status in the Roman world. They were not even allowed to vote. You see some of that happening today, don't you? That's sad, too. They were not allowed to hold a public office. They could not even testify in a courtroom. Sounds like they were third-class citizens, and to us they probably would be. Yet the greatest, listen, the greatest story that was ever told was told to them first. I gave it to you a while ago, but let me give you a part of it again in Luke chapter 2. And there were in the same country, I like that, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. But wait, the angel said, fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is called Christ the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Christmas spelled with capital letters. Now, it's time to open your Bible. By the way, did I tell you when we open the Bible, the Bible opens the mind of God? Let's see what God's thinking about in the ninth chapter of this prophecy of Isaiah. As you're finding your place in the ninth chapter of Isaiah, I should remind you, as sure as night follows day and day follows night, God still lives And the Bible is right. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. All flesh is as grass. All the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. For the word of the Lord of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And I'm glad it's settled right here on this earth. In this wonderful book that we call the Bible, inspired, infallible, inerrant, impeccable, indestructible, powerful and precious, and perfect, and pure, and pontifical, and preserved for us in our own language in the King James Version. Wow, what a book. Now I'm going to read the text. I've already 
giving it to you in a different context, but from Isaiah 9, 6, I'm going to read the first part of, the, of that sixth verse of chapter 9, and I'll read it after we pray. Now, Father, we are grateful for thy kindness and blessings. We're grateful that you sent Jesus to die in our stead, paying the sin debt, bearing our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, giving us eternal life. Forever and ever we shall live with him. I pray for those who have come into this congregation today who have not yet trusted Jesus as their Savior. What a day this would be for them to just turn loose and let Jesus have his way in their lives, confessing their sins, repenting of their sins, calling on the Lord, to save them for those that need help spiritually, physically, financially, emotionally. May they find it in this service today. In Jesus' name I pray and with thanksgiving. Amen. Isaiah 9, 6. When to us a child is born, unto us a son is given. My message I've entitled for this Christmas Eve day an unusual birth and an unspeakable gift. Let me repeat that. I want you to get it. An unusual birth and an unspeakable gift. Now let us look first of all at the humanity of Christ. Remember we said a while ago, unto us a child is born is his humanity. In his humanity, he was called from his mother's womb. Isaiah wrote that in the 49th chapter of his book in verse 1. And by the way, that's Jesus speaking. And I'm going to quote Jesus from the Old Testament from Isaiah 49 in verse 1. He said, the Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. Write it down, ladies and gentlemen. The only person in history whose birth certificate was written over 700 years before he was born is Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God and the Son of Man. In his humanity, he grew and developed in humankind. Back to Luke chapter 2 at verse number 52. Listen, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. There's a fourfold development that every human being experiences at one time or another in one way or another. Mentally, physically, spiritually, and socially. Jesus developed in all four of those ways. In his humanity, he suffered the pangs of hunger. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. The Bible tells us that then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, the Bible says he was afterward and hungered meaning he was hungry. You know what it is to be hungry. Some of you are hungry right now. 
Your stomach is growling. I can hear it all the way up here. You know what it is to be hungry. And so did Jesus because he was just as much man as he had never been God. He hungered, the Bible says. Continuing in his humanity, he grew tired from a long day's journey. It is written in John chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Push the pause button for just a second. I think it was in 1968, our first trip to the Holy Land, you could go in those days to Jacob's well. And I stood there and looked around and looked at it. My wife looked at it. No, no, she shook her head. But I just put the dipper down in it and drank from Jacob's well. That's why I haven't been thirsty in 40 years. <laughs> now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. He had to rest. He grew tired, as you grow tired. In his humanity, his body required sleep. Matthew 8, verses 23 and 24 And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. The ship is covered with the waves, and he's up there in the end of the ship asleep. He was tired. He was weary. He grew tired from his journey as you, if you had walked as far as he walked, you'd be tired too. You'd give out before you got there. But he made it into the boat, into the end of the boat, and while the waves overran the boat, overflowed the boat, he slept. In his humanity, he took for himself the title, Son of Man, that comes out of the book of Ezekiel. Over and over again and again, Ezekiel is referred to as the son of man. God spoke to him, son of man, son of man, son of man. Jesus referred to himself only as son of man. One of the most important places is Luke 19.10. I'm going to quote Jesus here. He said in Luke 19.10, For the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. In one simple statement, we have clearly the mission of Jesus Christ on earth. I hasten to tell you that Jesus Christ did not come to establish a new social order. Jesus Christ did not come to enhance the philosophy of Greece. Jesus Christ did not come to enlarge the powers of Rome. Jesus Christ came to die for sinners like you and me. Paul said in Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth his love to us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The prince of preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, said they are the four greatest words in the Bible. Christ died 
for us. My friend, let me tell you, Jesus died for you. He paid your sin debt at Calvary. He bore your sins at Calvary. If you haven't trusted him, now's the time to do it. In 1 Timothy 1.15, the Bible says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. In 1 Timothy 2.5, the Bible says there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. In 1 Peter chapter 1 at verse 18, Peter wrote, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but by the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Acts 4.12 puts it this way. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 8, For by grace... Are you saved through faith? And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This brings me now to my thought of considering Christ in his deity. We've seen his humanity. My text says unto us, a child was born, but wait, it didn't stop there. Unto us a son is given. Now, this statement of his deity leads us to the truth of his virgin birth. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's his deity, ladies and gentlemen. And in his deity, we see God. Now, in the first chapter of Luke, and you need to read it when you get home, and I'm going to paraphrase a lot here. When the angel, listen carefully, when the angel told Mary that she would conceive in her womb and bring forth a son whose name would be called Jesus, what did she do? She promptly, immediately asked the angel in Luke 1.34, How shall this be? Seeing I know not a man. Stay tuned. The sum and summation of the virgin birth is about to break out. The angel answered and said unto her, now please don't miss this. The Holy Ghost, I love this. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore... Also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. That holy thing, the Holy Ghost is going to overshadow you. The power of the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you. And that holy being that shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. 
of God. Now, just how important is the virgin birth? I've read about some preachers who've said some of these liberals, but I've never seen an intelligent person who believed in the virgin birth. I'd like for them to shake hands with me. I believe in it. I've been believing in it a long time and it hasn't changed. This book is the same. And Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. The truth never changes. He's the virgin born son of God. How important is it? Listen, if there be no virgin birth, there could have been no sacrificial death. There could have been no resurrection, no ascension, no intercession, no rapture, no revelation, no millennial kingdom. Some of you know that for 35 years, not only while I was pastoring this church, I was teaching seminary. And all the students, there were hundreds of them in 35 years, that came through my class of the life of Christ, there were a number of verses of Scripture that I uh, had them I assigned them to memorize. Most of them did, some of them didn't. They never got the message. They're still wondering, what did he say? But most of them memorized a lot of verses of Scripture. But here's something I had them to memorize from my own heart. Please don't miss it. It's the summary of the virgin birth. If there be no virgin birth, then Christianity is only a myth that will in the end succumb to its own deception and be buried beneath the ashes of its own presumption. Thank God for the virgin birth. By the way, the first recorded words that we have of Jesus, not the first words, but the word, first words that we have recorded, that we have in the Bible, testified to his deity in Luke chapter 2, and you need to read it. You remember some of that story, I'm sure, when Jesus and, and uh, Joseph and Mary and Jesus, when he was 12 years old, went to the Passover in Jerusalem. And the people traveled in long caravans. Their family members would be scattered throughout all the caravans. And so when they were through with the process of the Passover in Jerusalem, they started back to their home in Nazareth and about a day's journey, they looked around and there's no Jesus. They can't find that boy. They looked among their kinfolks and their friends and they still couldn't. So they turned around and went back to Jerusalem and after three days, they located him. Guess, guess where he was? In the temple. Answering questions from the doctors of law and asking them questions that they couldn't answer. 12 years old in the temple. So his mother said to him, so I'm paraphrasing now, son, why did you deal with us like this? We've been searching for you all these days. And this is his answer to them. And he said unto them, how is it that you sought me? Know ye not that I must be about my father's business. Now, Joseph was not his father. Joseph had no business in the temple. He was just a poor fellow. But his heavenly father had business in the temple. 
and he was in there taking care of his father's business while his father was up there taking care of something else, probably looking after when you and I would be born. He knows everything. You think he doesn't know, but he does. But uh, why have you sought me, he said. I must be about my father's business. In his deity, he's one and the same with God. John 10, 30, I'm quoting Jesus again. He said, I and my father are one. In his deity, he's God's gift to the world. John 3, 16, I like to think of it as the Bible in miniature. Just 25 words. 25 words. The Bible in miniature for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Ladies and gentlemen, Christmas is not about me giving you a gift. Are you giving me a gift? Christmas is about God giving all of us a gift. The whole inhabited earth. God so loved the world, the whole inhabited earth, that he gave his only begotten son. By the way, it wasn't just a son. It was his only begotten son. That is the only son that he begat or the only son that he fathered. Remember the Holy Ghost overshadowed her. You know the picture. That's plain enough. His only begotten son. In his deity, he's the conqueror of death. The Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die. God knows what your condition is today. If you were to die like you are, some of you wouldn't make it to heaven, perhaps. I don't know. But now's a good time to get that settled. Just tell God you need him. Tell Jesus you want to accept him. He said in the Revelation chapter 1, 18, I'm still quoting Jesus. I love, by now you know I love to quote Jesus. He's the greatest authority the world has ever known. When I quote him, I never have to worry about being misquoted. He said in Revelation 1, 18, I am he that liveth and was dead. Past tense, was dead. Now watch it. Behold, I'm alive forevermore and have the keys of hell and death. He lives who once was dead. He lives my ever-loving head. He lives to grant me rich supply. He lives that I should never die. Amen. I like the way he put it in John 11. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never, 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 five times, never, 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 never die. Wow. In his deity, he's all that we need today. He's the savior of mankind. I gave it to you earlier. He's, the angel said to the shepherds, fear not, 
for behold, I'll bring you good tidings of great joy. What better tidings have we than this? The birth of a Savior, wonderful bliss. Before creation, he lived on high. In God's own time, to us he came nigh. Born of a virgin, laid on his mother's breast, he came to earth to give us rest. Confounding lawyers in the Jewish temple, he spoke the truth in words so simple. My father's business I must attend and dutifully did so to the end. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah, what a savior. What does the Bible say? You know, I, I decided a long time ago that I was far more interested in what the Bible says about man than I am what man says about the Bible. What does the Bible say? The Bible tells us that all have sinned. The Bible tells us there's none righteous. The Bible tells us there's not a just man upon the earth. The Bible tells us the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The Bible tells us that it is appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment, judgment, judgment. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. The Bible tells us sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as white as wool. The Bible says, now is the accepted time. Today is a day of salvation. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, have you heard his voice? If you hear his voice, harden not your heart. The Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow. For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Hear me, my friend. Life is uncertain. Death is sure. Sin is the curse. Christ is the cure. Today is your day. Tomorrow belongs to God. May I quote Jesus one more time? He said, come unto me all, ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Someone wrote a brief essay entitled, The Person of Jesus. The setting is the temple in Jerusalem. Please listen very carefully. The boy Jesus is astonishing the doctors of law with his questions and answers. One of the council members asked him, boy, what's your name? On my mother's side, Jesus. 
on my father's side, Emmanuel. Jesus means Savior. Emmanuel means God with us. Why? Where'd you come from? If you mean on my mother's side, I came from the village of Nazareth up in Galilee. If you mean on my father's side, I came from heaven, the very portals of glory. Son, don't you think you're being a little disrespectful? How old are you anyhow? Sir, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but if you mean on my mother's side, I'm 12 years old. If you mean on my father's side, I am from everlasting to everlasting. World without end. Ancient of days, Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. Boy, how'd you learn all this? Why'd you go to school anyway? On my mother's side, I was brought up in the synagogue. On my father's side, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And all of the knowledge and wisdom of the Godhead dwells in me. <laughs> Boy, do you expect to get anywhere with an attitude like that? <laughs> what are your plans for the future? Well, on my mother's side, I will die on a cross. On my father's side, I will rise again the third day. <laughs> Boy, if we ever see you again, how will we know you? Well, on my mother's side, you will know me by the nail prints in my hands. On my father's side, I'll be the one walking among the golden candlesticks. And you'll see the multitudes gathered around me saying, Worthy is the Lamb to receive all power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory. For he has loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and made us kings and priests to reign with him forever and forever. And don't get excited about a man getting happy. Some of you need to get happy. You've been on your seat for so long, it smells. <laughs> Don't get upset about a man getting happy. It's real with him. The hymn writer wrote, Majestic sweetness sits enthroned upon the Savior's brow. His head with radiant glory's crown. His lips with grace or flow. No mortal can with him compare among the sons of men. Fairer is he than all the fair that fill the heavenly train. He saw me plunged in deep despair and flew to my relief. For me, he bore the shameful cross and carried all my grief. To him I owe my life and breath and all the joys I crave. 
He makes me triumph over death and saves me from the grave. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a good day if you're here today. I'm not going to put you on the spot. Nobody's going to embarrass you. Let's stand together, please, for our prayer. Every head is bowed. Altar is open. Listen, you don't have to wait till we pray or sing. If God's spoken to your heart, the altar is already open. If you're here today and you've never really trusted Christ or you've gone through some kind of procedure, but if you die today, you know you would not go to heaven because you've never really been born again. Why don't you just step out now? Don't wait for somebody else to come. There'll be some folks here at the front to show you, taking the Bible, to show you how you can be saved. We're not, as I said, going to embarrass you or ask you to make a speech. We just want to help you. We want to show you how you can be saved and how you know you can go to heaven. What about it on this uh, Christmas Eve day? Hundreds of Christians in this auditorium, I know. Would this be a good time for you to step out of your seat, come and kneel at an altar, or maybe stand around the altar? There's plenty of room. And just by saying, by doing that, you're saying you're thanking God that he gave his only begotten son on the cross to save you. Would you like to do that today, my saved friend? Father, we thank you for this hour. We thank you for the opportunities of this Christmas Eve day. We pray that hearts would be blessed and lives would be changed on this day. In Jesus' name. Heads are still bowed while we sing, while we pray, while we wait. The Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. Step out of your seat. Right now, step out of your seat and make a step toward God, toward hope, joy, peace, and happiness, and salvation. Come on, don't wait, Pastor.